Binge the full week of The Ray Taylor Show ad-free over at InspiredDisorder.com slash plus. This is The Ray Taylor Show. Welcome to The Ray Taylor Show, where I bring you reviews of the latest movies and TV shows, as well as classic and foreign films. I'm your host, Ray Taylor, and on this podcast, I'll be talking about all things film and television. Whether you're looking for a new show to binge or want to know if that blockbuster is worth the trip to the theater or just want to hear my thoughts on a classic or foreign film, I've got you covered. So join me every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes and let's dive into the world of film and television together. On today's episode, I am finally talking about the newest Christopher Nolan film, Oppenheimer. This came out last year, 2023, written and directed by Christopher Nolan based on books based on novels, uh, uh, a novel written by uh, Kale Beard and Martin Sherwin. A book that was the basis for this movie, obviously. This movie stars Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., amongst many other. Florence Pugh is in this movie as well. So many great performances from so many great actors in this movie. In this movie, the story of an American scientist, J. Robert Oppenheimer, and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. Overall, uh, I gotta say, this Christopher Nolan guy sure knows how to make a movie. This is a capital M movie. A capital F film this is one of those movies that is over two hours long it's technically three hours long almost on the button uh, but justifies its runtime as opposed to other movies that have come out and come out recently especially from american directors uh where their long run times are far from justified this movie i think i enjoyed it the three hours flew by uh, I watched this film on my projector, as I tend to do with most of the movies I am going to be reviewing. Uh, but while watching this movie, despite watching it on a projector, I still wish I had seen it in IMAX. I Just watching this, I was just imagining all of these scenes and visuals uh, on an IMAX screen. It is a movie with a lot of close-ups and a lot of people talking, but still... It is a movie that I would have loved to see in IMAX, right? It's not some action movie, uh, but there's also some of Nolan's kind of signature practical visual effects, very similar to Interstellar, which is my favorite Christopher Nolan film. So interesting to see those kinds of effects being used in this movie as well. Uh, this might be... This movie, uh, I would say, might be the best movie I've seen from 2023. Like, as far as best movies are concerned, in my opinion, best films, uh, this is the best film I've seen. Uh, now, is it my favorite film from last year? No. It is not my favorite film, but it is the best film from last year, I would say. Uh, but we will see if... Or where this movie lands on my top five movies of 2023 list when I do that episode coming up soon for my Sunday podcast top five where I rank movies in a variety of categories. I will be doing my top five movies of 2023. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I watch this movie because it's one of the movies I haven't seen yet. 
there's still a handful of movies that I, I need to watch before doing that list. Um, and it's just tough because they're not all available to rent or view at home yet. In this movie, I was worried this might feel like homework. You know, a long movie, there's always that worry of like, oh boy. And a movie that's like based on history, a drama, there's not going to be action. Like, oh, this is going to be a tough movie to get through. This is going to be a tough three-hour movie to get through. But the pace and the energy that Christopher Nolan uses with the score and the editing had me sucked in and it was for me a great three hour ride I didn't feel like it was three hours until two hours went by and then it kind of feels like uh, other movies may have ended at the two hour mark uh, but this one still had an hour left and uh, that was a little surprising just because it felt like the movie was over. Then I look at the the time code, and it's like, oh, there's still like 55 minutes left. And then that 55 minutes flew by as well. But other than that, the pace, the energy had me sucked in. I would highly recommend this movie. Obviously, I mean, I, I, I would. it made so much money, so surprising, if not for Barbie and the Barbieheimer, Barbenheimer, uh, phenomenon I don't know if this would have been as successful the fact that so many people like Barbie was kind of a movie to a broader audience mostly kind of a female audience but I think a lot of dudes ended up enjoying that movie as well uh, I think that broader audience that the Barbie movie brought in kind of uh, trickled into the Oppenheimer as well and maybe vice versa. There was probably a lot of couples that used it as an opportunity to compromise. Uh, so because of that, maybe both movies wouldn't have been as popular. But uh, regardless, I'm glad it was popular. I love Christopher Nolan as a director. I don't think all of his movies are masterpieces. But uh, this one's close. This one's close. Uh, I would highly recommend this movie. Uh, would not be surprised if this wins a ton of awards uh, for, you know, director, writing, editing, sound, acting, all the acting. Wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. Would be, you know, coming up against the maestro. I, I this that would be the battle the those two movies, I would say. Let's pause for a minute here. To all the art enthusiasts and lovers of unique creative expression listening in, I have a real treat for you. The Many Faces is a series that you simply cannot miss. These are not just any paintings. They're a journey into a world of abstract and surreal art, each piece meticulously crafted with ink on paper, showcasing a face with its own unique story. This series is a labor of love with new, breathtaking pieces unveiled every single day, starting at just $20 for a 4x6 painting. These artworks offer you the chance to own something truly special, with larger sizes available for those who want to make a bolder statement. Picture an original, emotion-rich artwork from the many faces adorning your favorite room. Intrigued? 
Visit InspiredDisorder.com and choose a piece that speaks to you. It's more than art. It's a piece of a larger narrative waiting to be shared. Now let's jump back into the excitement of our show. But as far as my non-spoilery thoughts on this film, there is a line uh, in this movie that I loved. Uh, in the line is a character describing Oppenheimer. And he's described as the greatest salesman of science. And I that line that comes towards the end of the movie really fits seeing Oppenheimer and who he was as a person and what he was able to accomplish and uh, make happen was pretty impressive. And it's a skill and an attribute that you don't see in many scientists. There are, you have like Neil deGrasse Tyson and you have Bill Nye, the science guy. Aside from that, unless there's a global pandemic and you learn the name of Fauci, it is so rare that, or, you know, you look back in history and of course, Einstein is probably one of the most famous scientists on some level. Probably be what the, the first scientist I would imagine most people would think of if had to come up with the name of a historic scientist. But even he wasn't like a salesman of science. He was just a scientist who made some big discoveries and got popular for those things, but didn't necessarily have the, the energy that Oppenheimer had. The score of this movie is amazing, as is in most Christopher Nolan movies. The score in this, many times I was like, wow, this score has got me. And it's like not a score that like is trying to convince you to feel a certain way. It's a score that like takes the feeling you're having, the tension you may be having in a scene and elevates the tension. It elevates the emotions of the scenes that you're watching. And I appreciate that. I also love angry Matt Damon in this movie, right? He's kind of great as this older, angry military guy. Also love seeing Josh Hartnett in this. Love seeing Hartnett in all of the kind of things that he's been popping up in. Black Mirror being another notable appearance and performance from Josh Hartnett. Um, the unintended... This movie is very much a, th a big theme about this movie is the unintended consequences of your actions, specifically Oppenheimer. Obviously, historically, we know that he made the bomb and there were some maybe unintended consequences of that invention. Things didn't necessarily go the way he had hoped the optimism that him and other scientists shared as what this might be the end of really didn't. Uh, it wasn't the end of war as the optimism some people may have had. Uh, but you got both sides of it, like the fear that it would cause a chain reaction that would destroy the world, that would just ignite the atmosphere and fire. Uh they were definitely aware of both sides of that coin, the extremes 
uh, uh, extreme ends of what they were doing. But uh, yeah, the unintended consequences. Um, and this movie is about extremely smart people. I mean, not all of the people in this movie are extremely smart, but the focus is of these people like Oppenheimer, who is a genius, right? And not only the American side, but also the German side, which we don't really get to see, but it is very much like this movie of extremely smart people competing in teams. So there is an aspect of this movie that's almost like a sports movie. So much of it, like the camaraderie, the competition, the kind of respect for the opponent on some level. Or even like the Avengers type of a movie, right? But instead of superheroes, it's scientists. And all of these scientists who are at the top of their game all know each other, right? They're all familiar with each other. So regardless of where they are geographically, what team they're on, they still understand and respect the knowledge that they have um and there's moments where the purpose of the competition uh creating the bomb is kind of forgotten kind of falls away and they're just focused on the race they're focused on the competition right they're not necessarily thinking of what this is going to be used for what this could mean if it's used the unintended consequences of their actions. And then, of course, there's a layer of politics and spies over everything. And you see politicians using their power to protect their egos as they do. And there are layers of who Oppenheimer was as a person, what he believed in, what his relationships were like. And then you have the editing and the score of this film provide great energy. Kept me invested, kept me sucked into what was going on. Moments of tension and fear, the moments of things starting to happen. Also the traumas and chaos. And like when people spiral, the visuals, the editing, the score, all of those things, along with the performances, so good. And this might be the first Christopher Nolan film that has some sexiness in it. I don't know if it's the first sex scene in a Christopher Nolan film, but I'd say it's sexy. It's very nerd sexy, super nerd sexiness, but I loved it. I loved the super nerdy sexiness, you know, that's uh, I, I enjoy it. And it's, you know, gives him a glimpse into his relationship and his kind of complicated marriage. Very interesting. Um, at this point, a couple years ago, I rewatched and ranked all of Christopher Nolan's films. Uh, just to, I love watching directors' films in succession, so I can really get the vibe of of who they are as a, a storyteller. And Christopher Nolan has a very specific, very unique voice when it comes to directing a film, when it comes to telling a story. So, in watching all of his films and ranking them a few years ago. Uh, I got a, a very deep appreciation for his work and uh, kind of re gave me a new perspective on some of his work that I thought was probably his best, particularly my love of the Batman franchise, the trilogy of Batman movies that he did. Uh, 
made me realize that like those were some of his worst movies uh, in many ways. But um, this movie, if I had to put this movie on that list, I would say this movie would be my my second favorite Christopher Nolan film. Which spoilers for that list? Interstellar is my favorite Christopher Nolan film. Uh, so this would go right behind Interstellar, uh, and I forget what it's right above. Uh, what gets kicked off the list? You'd have to go check out that that episode of Top Five. But uh, this would be my this is my second favorite Christopher Nolan film, uh, just behind Interstellar for sure. Time for a quick pause from our episode today, listeners. Let's envision a unique addition to your world of art. Picture an artwork that's not just a feast for the eyes, but a rare gem in itself. Enter the realm of the many faces, available now as exquisite limited edition prints. These artworks aren't just visually appealing, they capture a blend of abstract and surreal art, each telling its own silent yet profound story. What sets these prints apart? I personally hand sign and number each one, ensuring that you hold a piece of exclusive artistry. And here's the great news. Luxury doesn't have to be unattainable. With prices starting at just $5 for a 4x6 print, it's art made accessible for every budget and every wall. So, art lovers, collectors, and everyone in between, Seize this opportunity. Add a touch of sophistication and uniqueness to your space. Visit InspiredDisorder.com now to claim your piece of this limited edition series. Now, back to more of what you love in our show. But I do want to talk about spoilers. This movie, a bunch of people saw it in theaters. It is available on video on demand. I'm sure it'll be streaming next week as far as my luck goes it'll probably be streaming next week or maybe even today wouldn't be surprised the day i record this the day after i rented it that it's uh, free on some streaming service regardless spoilers if you don't want to be spoiled for this movie uh you know and i'm not just talking about the historic spoilers that everybody knows happened but uh regardless spoilers from here on out again i love the visuals that are stuffed into this movie very much like what Nolan did in interstellar gorgeous, these abstract uh, practical visuals that he's doing in this one, instead of space like interstellar was, this one is kind of elements of the bomb, whether it's sparks or the orbiting electrons of an atom, the, the, uh, the vibrations that, are constantly happening at all times where we can't see we can't comprehend the fact that atoms in a in a solid table the in a table that's not moving vibrating if you look at them close enough you'd see them vibrating you'd see them moving you'd see that they'd be it's mostly empty space all of that stuff um and the theme of this movie what i mean probably multiple themes but one of them that is established very early on is the unintended consequences of his actions leading to death right and that is illustrated when he is still a student poisoning the apple of one of his instructors right he wants to go see a a, a, a talk that another scientist is giving 
um, but he's unable to leave. He's he's told to stay in class and finish his his lab assignment. Um, and because he's left alone, he decides to inject arsenic into the teacher's apple. Um, but then while sleeping or while laying in bed later that night, he's thinking of all of the the things that could potentially the unintended things that can happen with this apple. And in his thoughts, he thinks of a horse eating this apple. And he's like, I don't want to kill a horse. That was not my intention in poisoning the apple. And when he shows up, one of the the scientists that he has respect for and wanted to see the talk of, which he did get to see the talk, but missed parts of it, was the one who was in that classroom now talking to his teacher and holding the apple. So it's like he almost poisoned a scientist that he and an educator that he had a lot of respect for, thinking that he was going to poison the teacher that he hated. Right. These unintended consequences. Um, but in the, the situation with the apple, he was able to take it back. Whereas clearly, as we know, the consequences of building the atomic bomb. He wasn't able to take back. And it, it, it's it's the time when he wasn't able to take back and those unintended consequences came back to hurt him. The blowback. This movie begins with him kind of on a journey of education and discovery, learning to create his theories, traveling to study from the other greatest minds in the world, you know, going to the UK, going to Germany to to learn. And then after he's done with that and has his theories, wants to start teaching, wants to bring those lessons that he learned in other countries bring those to America where those things, those ideas are lacking. He wants to be the one to uh, to bring those to America, bring that knowledge to the U.S. And, of course, in this time is the Red Scare. I mean, this is pre-World War One so far, and of the America's worried about socialism and communism, right? The FBI started a file on Oppenheimer because he had leftist ideas he had he had associates and friends and lovers who were self-proclaimed communists even though he himself never joined the communist party stated throughout multiple times throughout this that he never actually joined the communist party he may have shared many of their ideals which I think is completely valid to embrace a lot of socialist and communist ideals, especially when it comes to workers and unions and uh, the people who are really responsible for making things work in countries in the world. But of course... The U.S. is so scared of socialism and communism. Meanwhile, literally fascism was the one that was the real threat, right? As Hitler invades Poland and World War II starts, right? Like the, this fear of socialism and communism. Meanwhile, the fascists are literally destroying things, right? And it's so hard not to draw parallels to today. With conservatives in the United States once again casting the boogeyman as socialism and communism, right? Everything they don't like is socialism and communism. Meanwhile, 
the rise of fascism in this country is the new Republican Party. So much so you see it in Texas and Florida and you see it with the intentions of these politicians that want to get back in power. They want to be they are so much fascists. They so much embody fascism that they literally regurgitate and quote Hitler because his views so closely relate to their own. But socialism and communism is bad. People forming unions to get paid a living wage, that's bad. That's bad. All of these normal people fighting, simping, licking the boots of wealthy people that don't want them to have any power, it's sad. Uh, the one, so the, the, there's a couple sex scenes, but the one, the first sex scene with him and, and Florence Pugh, where they just stop mid sex. And then she goes over to look at the books in his bookcase. And she's kind of surprised at how the titles, the books that he has aren't all about science, right? That he has other interests outside of his career, but leads to kind of the most unexpected time for the classic the most historic quote from Oppenheimer which is a quote from the Bhagavad Gita I believe uh, and now I am become death destroyer of worlds as she puts him inside of her uh, you want to talk about nerd sex that's nerd sex right there that is like to get turned on to a guy reading Sanskrit um, and quoting that specific line, that's, you know, that's a woman that is into nerds for sure, uh, which makes them a great couple. <laughs> you know, like she's she is very much attracted to what Oppenheimer is. Um, and then, of course, moving forward. He leaves her because, of course, her communist ties, so he's got a distance from her. He also falls in love with uh, Emily Blunt's character. They have a family, but, of course, she's unable to do this. He's busy. His life is, his time is consumed by his career, consumed by this uh, project, and she can't handle taking their kid, so they get rid of their kid. They give their kid to like a friend of theirs um which is is sad but also something that just people used to do a lot and also another aspect of oppenheimer's character he's like well aware that he's brilliant but not in like an egotistical way but more of just like a matter of fact right which i wonder how true that is right it, but it's a different way to play a character because most people in movies who are brilliant tend to have an ego about it and who are aware. It's either the self-deprecating, brilliant people who don't believe they're brilliant or it's the massively egotistical people that think they're brilliant and treat everybody like assholes because they're, they are the brilliant one and that leads to their downfall. So I'm curious to know how accurate his portrayal of Oppenheimer as somebody who's well aware of his brilliance but 
not really knowing that he can use it to leverage certain situations, but also not going around talking down to everybody. Like he's very much open to hearing like that is a major aspect of how they were able to succeed in building this bomb was by being very open with everybody involved all of the artists all of these scientists i'm sorry coming together and collaborating on this thing versus if it was somebody who was super egotistical he would be the one at the top and everybody else would be below him and that's not really what it seemed like the creation process was um this movie you know gets moving once he gets signed on to the project the manhattan project then things really start to moving he's like yeah let's put this is like this is the marriage of what he's always wanted he's always his dream was to always marry his two passions his passion of science exploration and new mexico and now he's able to bring both of those things to New Mexico where he can, he can live on this land that's part of his family's use this land to do this monumental historic experiment to discovery invention all of these things but then you also have this race this this competition uh of trying to come up with it before Germany does right so much energy put into death and destruction it's just sad like if 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 it's amazing how many things in life could be better if we put this type of energy and time and money into solving problems that really affect like homelessness food financial disparities like we put all the energy into fixing normal societal things just to make life better for everybody we would be living in a utopia but instead all of this energy gets put into making a bomb in order to kill somebody not somebody in order to cause mass genocide which i appreciate the character who had the line describing it as such that it's mass genocide what these bombs do it's mass genocide when you bomb an area that is not a strategic kind of action that will only take out the people who are a threat you are taking out civilians men women and children that have nothing to do with whatever's going on in the war that are just trying to survive that are just trying to pay their bills and dropping a bomb on them eradicating hundreds of thousands of people is uh mass genocide at at a level that is because it happens so instantaneously aside from like the fallout and the the what happens with the radiation and all that stuff that causes to more death it is like so detached from the genocide versus the genocide that germany was doing Right. Of course, we all know the genocide that Hitler was doing, killing, you know, millions of Jewish people and anybody, not just Jewish people, anybody that's not uh, a white person, not part of their white supremacy. Uh, so much more visceral and analog, kind of like raw to see how 
that genocide took place versus dropping bombs on Japan. So detached. It's like seeing somebody, you know, hunting and killing and and cleaning animals, seeing the raw reality of that versus going to a supermarket and buying a steak. So detached. We're so detached from the genocide that America did to Japan. So detached. Like, there's no shame in it at all. In fact, it is, to this day, most of the time when it's brought up, it's brought up in a a sense of pride that, like, what we did. This horrific thing, dropping two bombs on Japan. But Oppenheimer gets his dream, bringing science and, and uh, to New, Me- New Mexico, right? It's his dream come true. Uh, also watching this, I kind of wish I'd love to see like a cinematic universe of historic scientists. Like this is the Oppenheimer story. Then Christopher Nolan does the Einstein story. Then he does the Heisenberg story. Like it would be interesting to see. Uh, it would never happen. And uh, even if it did, it would never be done correctly. Uh, but that's because this has that kind of feel of like all of the biggest and brightest working in different teams to try and get this this thing that's never existed to become a reality uh, is kind of interesting. And because they're all aware of each other, um, you know, it's kind of this movie in many ways an example of that. Two teams of smart people face off. Uh, the worry that the atomic bomb will set off a chain reaction and destroy the world will like ignite the atmosphere that like the idea of how the bomb works is that they blow up a bunch of other bombs directionally inward onto atoms and the energy that's created when you break apart an atom is the big explosion So it's like bombs creating bombs. And it's all a chain reaction based on a chain reaction. And their thought is, what if that chain reaction doesn't stop and just ignites? Like, what if it doesn't stop at the atoms that are inside the bomb? What if it starts igniting and doing the same thing to the surrounding atoms, causing the world to just, the atmosphere of the world to just uh, be engulfed in flames? It's like a terrifying plausible outcome which is crazy and the excitement when they find out that when they get news of like what germany has tried they're like ah they went down the wrong path right seeing their excitement this camaraderie they have right while each team of scientists know each other so it's like oh bill he went down the bill should have known better i knew that bill he would go down the wrong thing right very much like a sports movie but, you know, instead of, uh, you know, winning a gold medal, it's uh, creating a bomb to kill a lot of people. Uh, but it's, you know, for, for scientists, it's a sports movie for scientists about discovery and invention. The, the unintended outcomes is, is it is what it is. Uh, their hope that the bomb will not be used as a weapon, but hopefully just a reason to end wars. Like, that's what they were hoping. That's their most optimistic outcome of all of this is that if they create a weapon 
so dangerous that it will wake everybody up in the world to know that the war is not a good idea. If this is what what's capable, then what's we need to just stop. We need to put. But of course, as we know, that's definitely now. There's been uh, agreements not to use those weapons because they want to keep fighting. They want to keep killing people because resources. Oil is a necessary resource, uh, and uh, and religion is a delusional cult. Are delusional cults so those two things together greed religion oil all its resources all those reasons there's never going to not be war um but i love that they were so optimistic right that that was their most hopeful outcome just like oppenheimer's most hopeful outcome was that the teacher that he hates would eat the apple uh, versus you know all of the other unintended outcomes like maybe he gets fed to a horse maybe the scientist he actually likes eats it. And then towards the end of the project, you have people start to question the ethics. Because the war is pretty much done. Germany was done at that point. Hitler had killed himself. And Japan was expected to quit. Right? They Pearl Harbor, whatever. But they're probably running out of steam. And so they're like, what's the ethics involved with continuing this? And the tension of watching them put the uranium and the plutonium inside this sphere of smaller bombs was great. I mean, another very intense moment because they have to they have to test. They, so they push past. They finish this project. Right. And now they have to test it. And it's crazy the weather that they had. Right. The the weather adding absolute chaos to this whole thing. And he's like, don't worry, this is going to burn off the storm is going to burn off and by the morning will be good right the night before they have this crazy storm right unsure and they're unsure if the bomb will even go off because they had a failed implosion test before the final test in which one guy bet that it would work so they have a super early morning setup before the sun is even up which I didn't realize they had done it that early in the morning where the sun wasn't even up. Um, you have one of the scientists who are part of the team putting on sunscreen, wearing his like uh, welding glasses uh, in a beach chair and like talking shit about the guy who's in his car. It's like you think that windshield is going to protect you from anything. Uh, and the explosion was beautiful. Obviously, we all know Christopher Nolan actually set off a real bomb um that moment when the bomb everything kind of goes silent you hear oppenheimer breathing uh but just like mostly silence and seeing the different elements of the explosion in like the rolling fire the sparks that we kind of saw in in some of oppenheimer's previous visions um just all of it was pretty pretty amazing and then of course the delayed shockwave was great as well uh, as it hits everybody as which kind of shows i think the shockwave kind of shows how far away the different groups were like how hard it hit where oppenheimer and the the core group of people were versus where like the matt damon character was versus where the scientists were like it all it, it had different it went from being a major gust of wind to like a 
crazy breeze from out of nowhere. Kind of interesting. And I love one of the scientists who, in all of their tests, you see him as he's pushing the plunger down, always wanting to have a visual, like a direct visual of it, uh, which at any point could have killed him. If you could see a bomb when it explodes, any piece of shrapnel that gets flown through the air could I instantly... So if you're in eyesight of that, you could die. But this guy's like, I got to see it. And even in the final explosion, you see him run outside of the bunker and like kind of crawl up on the side of it to like look at it in person and him getting blown down the, the hill. The Pretty great. Funny moment. Love that character. Even though he's not a big character, but I love I love that little aspect of that character. Um, and then later when you hear the news that the bombs were successful over Japan uh, and you see how different everybody at their camp in New Mexico uh, acted. Of course, you have all the military people celebrating. You have all of the scientists who were shocked and very hesitant, uh, hesitantly, some hesitantly prideful and some just like, oh, what did we do? Right. We did this. Like the tones are very different from the military to the scientists involved after afterwards. And like a sports movie that this was in many ways, you have the thunderous foot stomps that play uh, a few times throughout this movie leading up to this moment. Uh, but it turns out it, it was a crowd cheering for Oppenheimer who was successful, created this thing, right? And it's a scene where it's even like filmed in a gym where there's a basketball hoop. And it's, you know, it's as if he won a championship, right? A scientist being celebrated like he won a gold medal. Celebrated like any, unlike any scientist had ever been celebrated before, I'm sure. Like the, the level of celebrity this guy had, it was, had. Celebrity, he had the celebrity. It, it's just, you don't see that anywhere that he was successfully able to do this thing that in the moment hoped that it would end. I mean, it ended the world war two, but then just started the cold war with Russia. And then, you know, turns him into becoming detached, like just like him losing it in that moment, seeing the people cheering him on, but then having visions of people crying, having visions of the charred bodies that were laid, the dead people that he, the carnage that he, uh, the unintended consequences of the bomb. He starts visualizing that, right? And how it starts with him first not hearing the crowd, then visualizing the white light of the bomb going off, followed by the wind and you know, seeing it rip the flesh off of one of the women in the crowd, you know, in the background behind him, it's vibrating and shaking, right? The close-up of him becoming more shallow depth of field as he's, like, clearly losing it. Amazing scene, visually amazing scene. And this is where I look at my phone, I'm like, oh, there's still an hour to go. <laughs> like, this isn't the end. Like, him, the bombing of that, is is not the end that then we have the meeting that we've kind of cut to uh well first we have a meeting with the president and the president kind of putting him at ease he's like don't worry nobody cares about who built the bomb 
I'm the one that dropped the bomb, so everybody's going to be looking at me and blaming me for the uh, instantaneous genocide that happened in Japan, right? So in some ways, taking the pressure off of him, taking the pressure off of his shoulders. Then the briefing on the effects of the bomb on the people where you have this guy showing slides. We never see the slides, but you hear him narrating the slides that are going through, right? This guy running through the slides, giving the rundown on all the tragic things that happened. And the whole time we're just locked in on Oppenheimer's face, his face of regret and shame. Just another perfect scene. And the last third of this movie seems to be, I mean, it is a lot more about Robert Downey Jr.'s character who wasn't in the first two thirds. But you see why, like, this politician that was kind of clowned by Oppenheimer at times, like, wants to get revenge on Oppenheimer and ruin his, his reputation and his livelihood. Uh... And my favorite part of that whole interview, the non-trial trial thing that happened with, with Oppenheimer, I love the point where his wife Kitty comes up and she is just th giving it to the interviewer guy just as hard as he's trying to, to, as he's trying to give it. Like she's giving it right back to him. So great. Great moment. So anyway... I love the movie. Super sad about the, the Florence Pugh's character, but it's also like there's a there is a like one scene in when they find out that she killed herself where you see a hand with a glove on it pulling back from her head that is underneath the water of the bathtub. So it feels like she was intentionally killed who knows who it could have been somebody protecting oppenheimer because she was a known communist trying to protect his his uh reputation or it could have been just the fbi taking her out because she's a communist also and just you know any opportunity to get rid of Somebody that's fighting for something other than capitalism. So it's an interesting moment. I mean, I don't know the, the real story, so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there were theories that she was assassinated, she was killed. Uh, regardless, uh, this is my second favorite Nor Nolan film. The editing, the score mixed with the visuals all fit together so well in this. Elements from so many of his previous films as well. Visuals that are so similar to Interstellar. Uh, editing, jumping back and forth from different points in time. Very much like Dunkirk. You have the black and white versus color of this film. Very much like Memento. Uh, plus you have amazing performances in this as you do in, in all of Nolan's films. Right, A story about a guy who can see so far into the future in these theories that he comes up with as a scientist, but is still so blind to the repercussions of his actions, which is another line that a, a character uh, mentions in this movie. Unlike the apple that he poisoned, but was able to take back before it causes destruction. The bomb that he created was something that he could never take back. 
the devastation of the bomb and how it kind of bled into his entire being. Such a great movie. Uh, I wish I had purchased this movie instead of renting it. I wish I had seen it in IMAX. Uh, but regardless, I loved Oppenheimer, a great movie. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode of The Ray Taylor Show. I do hope you enjoyed my thoughts on Oppenheimer. Don't forget to tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for new episodes of The Ray Taylor Show. Uh, and join uh, movie reviews, movie and TV show reviews, I should say. And join the conversation by leaving a comment or rating on your favorite podcast platform or over on youtube.com slash inspired disorder where all these episodes are available in video format. Until next time, enjoy the show. Subscribe to The Ray Taylor Show on YouTube and everywhere podcasts are found. Binge the full week ad-free over at inspireddisorder.com slash plus. Purchase Ray Taylor Show merch over at inspireddisorder.com. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Peace out. Today is the day where you wake up and you realize that everything that you've been dreaming about, everything that you've been wanting, every goal and wish and hope that you've ever had can become real. Dreams can come true. What you manifest in your mind, you can bring to reality.